Today's episode of Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show is brought to you by Insurance With. Insurance With, doing more than just insurance. Wait a second. This isn't your grandma's cancer show. Not your grandma's cancer show. Hi and welcome to Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show. I'm Tatum Duroc and today's show is about travel. Oh, that sound makes me want to be on a beach with a pina colada so badly. Um, but before we can get to the cocktails and white sandy beaches, we need travel insurance. And after being diagnosed, that can be a whole different ball game and sometimes just a little bit more tricky. So on today's show, we have Fiona McRae, who worked in insurance before being diagnosed herself with cancer in her 30s. And after that, she put those experiences together to change the way people with cancer can get coverage. So she's going to be answering some questions as well. And we have Kate McDonnell, who's joining us by phone, and she's going to be sharing um, some of her stories about her traveling right after her treatment. But right now we have Fiona in the studio. Welcome, Fiona. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, it's really nice to have you. So, yeah, so you were working in... In insurance, was it travel insurance? Or? No, no, it was just general motor household insurance. Yeah, um, a little bit of travel, but it was it was mainly household insurance actually that I was working in. And and then, how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was thirty six when I was diagnosed. Um, I wore I just had a baby. He was five months old when I was diagnosed, so it was all quite shocking. I was on maternity leave from work. Um, so. And do you think being pregnant maybe delayed the diagnosis? It definitely delayed the diagnosis. I, I noticed a, something wrong um, about 20 weeks pregnant, um, and I was just kept being poo-pooed by the doctor saying, no, it's all fine, it's just normal pregnancy, your breasts will change, and, and that's what it was. And then after I had Cameron, my baby, um, I kept going back to the doctor saying, this still isn't right. It's, oh, no, it's because you're breastfeeding. And and then eventually um, I changed doctors because we moved to a different area. And the doctor said to me, oh, it doesn't look right. I'll just send you to somebody that that knows more about this than me. And I went to the one-stop breast clinic at Bart's and was diagnosed that day. That day? That day. So it was all quite shocking. I tipped up with my baby thinking there was nothing wrong because I'd been told there was nothing wrong for so long. Um, so I just thought I'd be calling in there quickly, having right. a quick check and had the baby in the pram and uh, just the two of us sitting there. Um, it was really shocking <laughs> experience yeah and so what test did they do that day that they were able to they did um they did a mammogram and a scan um and then they saw something on the scan so they did a fine needle mm-hmm. um aspiration i think aspiration i think that's what it's called um and then i had to wait and it came back that it was cancer um that day and i just was taken into this room and just everything went black, really, after they told me that. And I just kept looking at this my baby in the pram thinking, oh, my God, I'm never going to see him grow up. 
but um, but he's ten now. So. And gorgeous. <laughs> he's you. actually sitting outside <laughs> and um, and playing with the <laughs> with his games. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that just, I mean, to have a little baby that needs you right when you're about to go into treatment, how did you, how did you manage that? It was, sometimes when I look back on it, I just think, gosh, that must that happen to somebody else? How on earth did we get through that? You know, there was myself, my husband, um, none of our family live locally. So we were just trying desperately to cope on our own. He worked full time we still had a mortgage to pay he couldn't sit at home and look after the baby so we just sort of muddled through thankfully um he had an older aunt that lived relatively close by and she was a godsend um and she could take Cameron for the day when I wasn't feeling well and things like that and our families traveled up and down but it was really difficult because everybody's got life's jobs right. to come to London to to help us. It was yeah, it was it was a real a real struggle. And sometimes when people are, are making an effort from such a long way, you then feel like you have to rise to the occasion yeah, to yeah, kind yeah. of host right when you're you know yeah it, feeling it was, like you don't want to get out of bed. Yeah, yeah, it was just awful. And then and we also had a really tiny flat, <laughs> so it's just. So everybody's here to help, but on top of each other. Yeah. And it was just, you know, mattresses everywhere. And, yeah, when I look back now, it's like, oh, my goodness, how on earth did we get through that? But we did. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we got there in the end. And what was your treatment? I had, because I was so late being diagnosed, and by the time they got to the tumour, it was five centimetres. So they wanted to do the chemotherapy first. Um, so I had chemotherapy first, then radiotherapy, then a break, and then surgery <clears throat> um, after that. So it was like a year's worth of of treatment. Um, sometimes I think having the chemotherapy first sort of helped. I wasn't, although you were feeling ill, I wasn't watching wounds with a, ba- with a very young baby and... Sometimes I think, gosh, I'm glad I had it that way around. It's trying to get around surgery and and then going straight into chemotherapy. I don't know whether that might have just been a step too far for me at that stage. So I would imagine um, you didn't have the option then of breastfeeding then if you... No, after that, as soon as I was diagnosed, I was told I had to stop. I couldn't breastfeed from the breast that had the tumour in any way because that was how we discovered it because just no, it was just awful to try and get um, any milk out. So he's really only feeding on one side um, at the time and it was just because I kept persisting with it that... Um, they fight, as I say, and, and eventually it was just taking moving GPs to see a new face that actually thought, maybe we should do something about this. Uh, and then that's the thing, is that tenacity to keep going yeah, back. And, yeah. and it's really hard when you've got a newborn baby to, that's you know, it. get to the doctors again, let alone going back several times. And every time you go, they are actually saying what you want them to say, which is, there's right. nothing wrong. Yes. <laughs> so you're quite, you are quite happy with that. Yeah. Yeah, you want to go home and, you know, put that to one side. And yeah, so you don't want to keep going back. Because it takes a huge amount of strength yeah. to do that, to keep going back. And mm-hmm. and I think, yeah, I think that was, as I say, every time I went back, oh, they've told me what I want to hear, which is, no, there's fine, go away. 
Um, but yeah, you, you just do have to keep, you know your body. I know we keep saying that, you know, these days, that you do know your body. And in, in my heart of hearts, I knew right. it wasn't right. Yeah. I knew it wasn't right, but... And so when um, when you were going through treatment, did you want to go on holiday? Well, I did. When we were... So because I had the chemotherapy first and then the radiotherapy, then I had to have the break to sort of... Um, oh, no, actually, gosh, I, time changes. No, I had the chemotherapy first, then surgery, then radiotherapy at the end. That was it. I'd forgotten. I'd had the mas- mastectomy and then the radiotherapy. So I'd had my, chemo- my chemotherapy and... I remember my oncologist saying, well, what you should try and do is have a break as a family and see if you can get away. And I thought, well, perfect. Let me try and get away. Now, I knew it was going to be difficult because I did know, you know, about travel insurance. And I knew that I would struggle to try and find somebody to cover me. Um, But I just didn't think it was going to be so difficult. And the big stumbling block for me was because I I hadn't actually had the operation yet. Right. So the question I was being asked is, you know, has the tumour been surgically removed? And my answer was no, because I was still waiting for it to get done. And at that time, that was a big no-no. It was like an immediate, well, actually, we can't cover you then. And I just thought, well, that that doesn't make sense. And I spoke to my oncologist to try and understand, was this a big risk that, you know, while I putting myself at risk by not having the surgery, waiting? And she said, well, no, that's your treatment plan. And and at the time, 10 years ago, that wasn't, it wasn't routinely done like that. But whereas now, an awful lot of people have chemotherapy first. Right. And then have the surgery and the radio after that. So actually, your experience of trying to look for travel insurance made you question yes. your your treatment plan. Well, yes. Because... It, it, it made me worried. I thought, well, actually, why? You know, I, I thought that the underwriters would know, would, would have assessed the risks. I worked in household insurance and we did a lot of assessing risks you know if you live in a flood area we'd assess the area you know if you live in a high theft area again it's all about assessing the area excess you know assessing the circumstances to get to the right rate to to quote somebody Mm -hmm. so I was taking that approach and it didn't nobody seemed to be fully assessing the risk they were just seemed to be looking at cancer and going scary death no right (laughs) and and I just felt that, and it, I suppose, until you go through cancer, it it is a very frightening thing. But once you've actually gone through it, the way I explain it, is that, yes, it's still scary, but it's actually, it's really treatable. And that's, and you know, and I think actually it's not as scary, I, I'm not as scared as, it, of it, as I was before I'd had cancer, if that makes sense. Um, because you can see this, there is so many treatments, there is such a, a lot they can do these days. So do you feel like the insurance companies were just scared and kind of just yeah. shutting down yeah. shop instead of looking a little bit more specifically at what... I felt they had the old-fashioned view that about cancer that was whispered in the corner, the name that was never said, right. because it was just instant death. I mean, that's what I thought, looking at my baby in the pram, I thought, well, I'm never going to see him go to school. And it's it's just the I suppose until somebody's been through it, it's it's the perception of cancer. That is the perception of cancer a lot of people have, until they've actually gone through it or know somebody that's going through it. Right. And so when um, when 
when you went to your doctor and you realised that, that, okay, they weren't assessing the risk and they were just kind of shutting down, really, your mm-hmm. your hopes of your, your yeah. breakaway, how did that make you feel? I was really sort of upset because I could... I wanted to just get away from everything in the house that reminded me that I had cancer. So, you know, the prescriptions, the pills lying everywhere, the doctor's appointments there... You know, just your cancer paraphernalia is the only way I can describe it. That's all around you in your home. But when you get away, you sort of forget. You can forget what's happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I wanted to do and try and get a bit of myself back. Right. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, it's a bit soul destroying. Um, And, you know, got trying to get the quotes and speaking to different people also made me really upset. So, because you're sort of reliving it and a lot of the time you just felt the people that you were talking to didn't understand. Um, And why should they? It's, you know, they work maybe in a call centre and and it's not that they speak to hundreds of people a day and why should you be any different? And I think, yeah, and but that is... I think that the effect that has on you. Yeah, and and it's also probably something that takes you a little bit by surprise because although you've, you know, may have gotten insurance, you know, tons of time before, you're used to kind of, okay, you go through the questions, no, 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 no. And suddenly, you know, you're in this whole new world, this, you know, and, and something that used to just be really, really simple is now tripping it's really difficult you you've got no choice it's right. you know you're maybe saying well one person can help you and this is it there's no oh actually that's not quite what I was looking for I maybe wanted a bit more baggage cover or a bit more right. cancellation no this is it um, whereas you know in my previous life before cancer it was you know you wanted travel insurance you had a choice of about 20 30 different providers you could pick and choose what you wanted look for the best price and then all of a sudden you're down to one so when did you when did the idea start to percolate that maybe you could figure out a way to assess risk differently it was more it was probably on that first holiday that, you know, I was just sort of lying by the pool thinking about it, reading my travel documents, just thinking it's not that complicated. Um, I'm not insuring anybody's life. I only need to make sure, you know, they're going to be well enough, say, maximum for the next six months to go on holiday and things like that because, you know, you, you've got your cancellation and things in there. Not many people would book more six, 12 months maybe in advance. So I just started to think about it then, and then when I got back home, I was talking to more people about it, and they said, actually, what you're saying makes sense, and and then I met a travel underwriter, and I spoke to them about it, and I said, well, because you seem to ask the same question regardless of what cancer you've got, and I said, well, I've got breast cancer, and that's got a different outcome to somebody with lung cancer or prostate cancer, and the treatment's different, so how can you ask us all the same questions? And that's sort of where it started from about we just looked in bre- at breast cancer in isolation and we started um, just trying to cover breast cancer at first and changing the question sets and, you know, 
people that were waiting for um, surgery, provided they'd had their chemotherapy, they were four to six weeks after their chemotherapy had finished, we could offer them cover and things like that. And then there was also, there'd also be people who'd just been diagnosed with breast cancer, but they wanted to get a break before the treatment started. So it's also about being able to offer those people cover. And with breast cancer, because it's sort of on the outside of your body, the risk of something happening in that sort of one-week period while you're having a quick break before your treatment starts is quite low. I mean, you can't do it with every cancer. You know, for example, you know, maybe a bowel cancer diagnosis would be different because, you know, you need to have the surgery and, and different things could be going on. But with breast cancer, we could we started to look at that in isolation. Um, and then from what we've learned with breast cancer, we've done various, lots of different cancers and just looking at them in, in isolation and trying to change question sets, you know, that will suit particular cancers so we can actually assess the risk properly and try and find the right sort of treatment, the windows in treatment when people can go on holiday um, and not being saying, well, actually, you've got to wait six months until you're, after your chemotherapy before we'll look at you or five years. It's normally within treatment, they'll, you know, they wait your sort of three weeks and then your, your white blood cells are back up and they can give you more treatment. So that's what we started to look at. So, well, actually, if you give somebody four weeks and four to six weeks, then they should be sort of back up. And, and then we can we can start to look at offering cover then. So, I, th- I mean, I think it's really brilliant that you you took these two worlds that you had been navigating <laughs> between, <laughs> you know, your experience with cancer and your experience with breast cancer in particular, and then your knowledge of the insurance industry, and then started to combine them. And then in doing so, you've branched out to other types of cancer and, yeah. and looking at them all individually and yeah. where people are. And then even other conditions as well. Yeah, yeah, it's all all different medical conditions. We do sort of cystic fibrosis. We um, work on epilepsy as well, and we talk to the charities and understand the conditions. You know, you know, we we've recently changed some question sets that we do for epilepsy because, you know, we were thinking, well, if somebody's had a, a hospital admission, it must be serious. But then the more we were talking to people about it. It was if they'd had a fit at work, because of health and safety, work were insisting that they had hospital admission before they came back to work, so they'd been checked out. But that makes them no more of a risk. Right. It was just they had to follow a process. So it's about it's also it's trying to understand those different nuances in different conditions and to make sure we're not penalising people when we don't need to. Right. Yeah, it's like one of those questions, like how many times have you been to the doctor in the last, you know, however many yeah. months? And it's like, well, that that actually has no bearing no. on how sick you are. It's well, just, you know, my you know it could be lots of different things that you're going in to just yeah. get routinely checked. But I used to say, well, I've had cancer. Of course I've been to the doctor. Yeah. I go lost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anybody with cancer will tell you, you're, yeah, it's... So have you noticed that the insurance industry on a whole is changing very now? much so yeah very very much so that a lot of people are following our lead doing you know doing the same thing that we're doing and that's brilliant because all I ever wanted to do when I started this was to give people with cancer a choice yeah whether they choose my company or another company I don't really mind as long as they're getting a choice 
Yeah, and and, and your company is um, and is sponsoring the show today, uh, so that's lovely. And it's one of the things that you're doing in terms of outreach with different charities and with different groups. That's that right? right. Yeah. So it's insurance with, and we always say that doing more than just insurance because we also have a charitable donation with every policy sold and we do lots of outreach to different charities we donate lots of money to different charities and shine being one of them Mm -hmm. that we like to support so we've got some questions about travel insurance that we'll be asking you a little bit later in the show but right now we are going to be talking to kate about her travels and to get us in the mood we've got some exploring music Hi, Kate. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah. Nice to be on the show. Thank you. Oh, well, we're really happy to have you. So, um, yeah, so you went away right after your treatment ended, is that right? I did, yeah. I had um, Herceptin. So that carried on after my chemo for another uh, another nine months. So... um, yeah, it was at the end of Herceptin, I thought, because we had, my husband and I had been planning to go away for the for the winter, the year that I was diagnosed, and then obviously with all the treatment that put paid to that, so we were determined to go away the following winter. Nothing was going to get in our way. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah, the- once I'd finished the Herceptin, it was, right, we're out of here. And it's quite a nice feeling to go back to something that you had plan to do prior exactly, to that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because like um, Fiona was saying, as soon as you get that cancer diagnosis, you're like, oh my God, your life flashes before your eye. You think, that's it. You know, I'm not going to go anywhere again. And yeah, it was just so lovely to think, well, that's it. It's just a, a little blip and, and off we go again. Yeah. And... um and what was what was your so your treatment? Did you have chemotherapy and surgery? Um, I did. Yeah, I, I had uh, surgery to start with, um, and then chemotherapy, six rounds of chemotherapy, and radiotherapy, and then the Herceptin. Yeah. So all in all, it, it went on for about eighteen months, I guess. And yeah. and where did you decide to go after that? Well, our original, I mean, yeah, I think our original plan before I got cancer was to to go to Asia. We wanted to explore more of Asia. We'd been through there before, and but hadn't really had a good look around. So that was sort of, that was our, our aim to go there. So, um, yeah, that's what we did. We, we'd, we'd lived in Australia before, so we wanted to go back and visit some friends in Australia. So we went to Australia for a month for Christmas. And then um, after that, we headed to Bangkok, bought some bicycles, and and then travelled around from Thailand into Cambodia, up into Laos, and back into Thailand again, all on the bicycles, which was fantastic. Oh, my an God. Amazing, <laughs> amazing trip, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about setting cool. yourself a feat. <laughs> oh, really? I know. <laughs> but I just thought, right, this is this is it, I'm getting my body back, you know. I just thought it wasn't just about going away, I don't think. It was about about knowing that I was fit enough to, to uh, you know, to, to cycle every day, basically, up mountains and, 
yeah, it was uh, so. Yeah, it was quite quite a thing for me. I think. And how a poignant how, thing. Yeah, and and how were your energy levels, and how did it feel actually, when you were there doing it? Yeah, it was actually fine. I'd been, I mean, I've been cycling, sort of not not through my treatment, but after I when I finished chemotherapy. I just got back on my bicycle again and I just did very slow, you know, gentle rides and even to my radiotherapy, I was cycling to radiotherapy just slowly. I just, but I, I just wanted to, to maintain a, a, you know, a vague kind of fitness. So, and once, once I got my energy levels back, I was, I was cycling, you know, a lot at, at home, cycling to and from work. So my fitness had got back pretty well, I have to say. Um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't actually notice any difference. I mean, it's hard to remember what you were like before, um, but I, I felt like my energy levels were were back to normal again. Yeah. And was the experience travelling what you expected it would be? Oh, I don't know really. It was, um, I mean, the the time in Australia was was great that was lovely to see old friends and, and spend time with them um and then when we got to asia and, and i guess that was all sort of quite um it wasn't nothing was new it's like going back back home sort of thing so i felt quite comfortable but uh and then going to asia you know moving going to different places every day moving on all the time not knowing a soul apart from my husband so not um, and we were meeting lots of people along the way and, you know, having, you know, staying, um, having good chats with people. You know, we might spend a couple of days with the same kind of, same people and then move on again. But I just didn't, I didn't want to talk about the cancer because it just didn't seem relevant at all. But it, I felt like I was sort of in a, in a weird kind of world. I was sort of, I didn't feel like I could join, um, I wasn't quite ready to join the world again I don't think I was sort of I was holding something back and I it was weird I didn't I didn't realize that until until I sort of got out there I think once you get away from everything that's familiar it's um I don't know you, you feel a bit at sea sort of thing I think being away for so long as well you know the three-month trip um and straight after treatment I hadn't had time to sort of to sort of take in what had what I'd been through I suppose um yeah so it was I I, I came I came good in the end you know it, was, yeah. it took a, a few weeks and I wrote a blog post and I think that really helped because I'd <laughs> blogged all through my treatment and that really really helped me so I thought right I'm going to do that that's always sorted me out before so I did that yeah and I felt much better I just thought okay right, I'm okay I can I can move on again I think it's you know it's really interesting what you're saying about those those feelings because often people have them when they're at home um yeah. you know whether they be going back to work or maybe they're going to hang out with a group of friends that they haven't hung out with for a while or that it's their first time back in sort of like a nightclub or you know something that they would have done before but maybe yeah. through treatment they haven't but yeah. because you were so far away and and it was almost that you didn't have the other distractions, you sort of experienced yeah. that in in a very that that, that yeah. limbo almost where you you are transitioning exactly, from yeah. one world to another. 
It can definitely yeah. knock your confidence, I think. Cancer yeah. really knocks your confidence. It, it does. Yeah, yeah. Bizarrely, it does, yeah. yeah. It's the last it's thing you expect it to do, but it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so and you don't feel like, well, you kind of don't know who, you, who you're supposed to be anymore. You think, oh, I've just been through this major thing, and... I don't know, what What am I supposed to do now? I don't know. Yeah, I just, you, you try to get your old life bike. back and it doesn't quite work. Yeah, and you, you're trying to move on work, no. with your new life and yeah. you're not quite sure where that's going to go. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. something that's never, again, it's something that's never really spoken about, that people no. just expect us to pick up and get on. Right. You're alive. That's right. Once, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you're over the physical that's part it. of it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's only then you start... Uh, to to realise that mentally you're not not quite back on track. Yeah, you've been just so busy focusing on getting through it, I think, and you get to the other end and, yeah, you realise you have taken a a bit of a beating. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny time. It's um, probably good, you know, to kind of know about that maybe before taking that, you know, if someone else was thinking about taking a trip like that, to know that... You know, it, it obviously it can be amazing because that sounds fantastic. Bar the cycling, I'm I'm not sure I can get on board with that cycling. No, that doesn't. Not, not up everybody's. <laughs> I could quite happily have someone else cycle and me be in some kind of trolley contraption behind. Yep. Uh, with some grapes yeah. and yeah, really nice cocktails. So that that would be my vision. But um, um, but what I was. But if somebody was to take a trip like that, um, to know that even though you're really far away and you're doing this amazing thing, you know, that, yeah, those feelings can still find you. Yeah, exactly. And even if you feel physically well again, you have to take care of your mind still, I suppose, and just be aware that, you know, you're not, you're never going to be quite, you know, straight after treatment, you're not going to be the same person that you were and you have to be aware of that and, and I guess, and make other people aware of it, people who you're with. So you just, um, yeah, you just need a, a little bit of support, I suppose. And so the blogging was a good support for you, and that made you feel was. good. Was there anything yeah. else yeah. that you found um, useful? No, I, don't, I can't really. I mean, I had lots of thinking time, I suppose, on the bicycle, which in, in some ways was, was great, you know, it's sort of um, just, yeah, just helped me to put everything back into perspective um you know cycling along just in your own little world and and realizing that there's you know there's a whole world out there and you know life goes on and just because you've had uh had cancer it doesn't mean that uh it's going to stop for you um but yeah no i can't i don't think there was anything else that really that really helped me just but being away was it was, it was a great. It was a great thing. It was quite hard coming back, um, and again, sort of trying to to work out what you were going to do next. But um, it was well worth it. I'd do it again for sure. Excellent. Do you have any other trips lined <laughs> up? Uh, we're going down to France in um, in the summer. Uh, bicycles again. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> we've caught the bug. Um, is it an addiction? Is there? It is an addiction. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and hopefully another trip in in the winter. You know, just just to get away for for some of the winter. 
which I just, having done it once now, I just can't imagine being here for the whole winter. So, yeah, that will be great. Excellent. And when you were finding uh, travel insurance, did, how was that process for you? It was actually not bad because I knew, because I had, you know, um, I had an idea that it was going to be difficult. So I, I was able to, through breast cancer care, I was able to get uh, a lot of um, names of companies, uh, of people that I should contact. Um, so I just I just called a couple. And because I, I guess as well, because I was right at the end of my treatment, it didn't make things, um, you know, I didn't really have any any difficulties. Um, it was probably more expensive than, I, than it would have been before, but I was sort of, I didn't really care. You know, I just thought I'd, as long as nobody says no, you can't go away. Right. I'm prepared to pay, you know, within reason. But you know, yeah, yeah you... the price wasn't wasn't a major factor. I just what, didn't want anyone to say no. You can't go. That would have, yeah. Been, yeah, because that's hard to hear. Yes, the because your treatment had the last treatment you had was Herceptin. That's not as it's not the same sort of as doing the chemotherapy. Exactly. Though it's a form of chemotherapy, yeah. you don't need that time span yeah. to get over that. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's far yeah. easier to cover somebody. In fact, we, you know, I know us and other companies do cover people while they're on Herceptin because it doesn't have that. Yeah. It doesn't have the effect on the immune system that um, that the standard chemotherapy has. So you should be able to get cover while you're on Herceptin. That's really good to hear. And actually, it's really good that you almost were directed in a way to kind of circumvent maybe going to... Um, companies that Absolutely. might have said yeah. no, like you, yeah, you I had think, a pathway to find the right people to contact, and I think that that's right. makes a and big I difference. Think knowing that you're contacting a company who's used to dealing with people who've right. had cancer before, just you don't get that. Oh shit! You know, I'm gonna. What am I gonna say? And um, yeah, they, they, you know that they're very used to to listening to people who've you know who've been through what you've been through. So. And that makes yeah, a big difference, I think, instead of just yeah. sort of cold calling, you know, an array of companies. Yeah. It's, it's exactly. always best to try and find somebody that, that's going to have at least some empathy with you and, and what yeah. you've been through. And they're used to talking to people with cancer. Yeah. Um, it makes a big difference. You have to relive yeah. it when you're yeah. over the phone. And I'm sure there's probably some questions that you're like, what like that's actually now escaped my mind because I haven't been focusing yeah. on it. Like you have to sort of go yeah. back, mm-hmm. um, yeah, to 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 go back to get away. Um, well, thank yeah. you so much, Kate, for um, sharing that with us. And uh, no by problem. all means, please send us a picture of you on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I will. <laughs> I think I've got a few. I, I imagine you do. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you so much. You You too. All right. Bye. (laughs) I just really love that. I needed to hear it again. (laughs) So we are talking about travel and we've, um, Fiona is here to answer some of the questions actually that got sent in to us. Um, And um, one of them that, 
um, was actually um, sent in through the Shine Cancer Support um, Facebook. Um, they were really excited that we were covering this topic. Um, we got kisses even before the, the, <laughs> they <laughs> asked the question, um, which is kind of more of a comment, actually. It was, um, she's on her way to Morocco in July, and the cheapest quote that she had was £500. Um, and it was, she said, it's possibly because I'm still having treatment, although it's only surgery, not radio or chemo, and I'm not on any pain meds. Is that, is, is £500 what someone would ex- expect to pay? It, it does depend on their diagnosis and where they are in their treatment. Um it's and, and depending on the type of cancer that they've got, that sounds quite a lot for Morocco. But as I say, d- just depending on where they are um, and you know their, their their diagnosis and where they are through their treatment, she's saying that it's only surgery that she's waiting for. But is she going to have the surgery when she comes back, or is it just before she goes? So, you know. Would you have quite fresh wounds then? You know, would your wounds be fully healed? And again, you've got to think about that. People are, you know, the underwriters would be looking at that for infection that could cause problems, cause you know, make you go to the hospital. So I think it's it just depends on on, on where you are. What what normally would happen is, and what most underwriters in this the especially in this specialist arena would say that you have to be at least four to six weeks clear of any chemotherapy or radiotherapy um, to allow your immune system to come back up. And with surgery, they would ask that the wounds be um, fully healed and you're not having daily dressings on them. Um, that's normally what the underwriters would be looking for. Right. And I imagine that depending on the country makes a really vast difference. I mean, I just watched um, BBC's The C Word and um, Lisa, the main character, was quoted 36,000 to go to America for four days, which, I mean, just seemed staggering but then I suppose a lot of other places like it wouldn't be covered yeah. at all I mean yeah I mean I think the I, I also saw that program and the looking at her diagnosis she'd already had a secondary diagnosis and I think it was in her bones and in her brain and also to travel that that amount of time flying um again is and she would be on constant treatment too and what we always have to look at us and other underwriters in this area is that if something should happen when you're out there how would we get you home and it might not and it's sometimes not just the case of I'm just going to jump on the first flight you might not be able to fly if your bloods are really low if you pick up an infection you can't get home so you're stuck in a country on the other side of the world away from your family and friends and the travel insurance policy will only cover for one person to stay with you. I mean, we've had situations where um, we've had, you know, people have been very ill abroad, but it's maybe only the father can stay and the children have been, the grandparents have come back out, taken the children and gone home. And then, you know, you've got the mother and father stuck in another country. And it's just, and we can't physically get them home because even a well-equipped air ambulance has got to fly at such an altitude that it's it's unsafe sometimes. So, you know, when somebody's that ill, we would say, actually, we can't cover you to go that far. We would only be looking to cover you at mainland Europe because if push comes to shove, we know we can get somebody back by road. Okay. 
And that's what we've got to think about. You know, the worst case scenario is how would we get you home if we had to? And that actually um, leads into another question that we had that was someone that was saying that they have an incurable cancer, so their treatment is always ongoing. Can they still get travel insurance? Again, people will look at that depending on, although they might have ongoing chemotherapy, it's it's not as a high dose as the the active chemotherapy that you know that you have you given it every three weeks and then you build back up again and then you're given it again um it tends to be when somebody's on ongoing chemotherapy it's a tablet form and it's every day and it's a lower dose so yes it is possible for people to get cover in in those situations but it's also about being realistic to where you want to go i mean maybe going to a remote greek island with you know no medical facilities isn't the best plan you should always make sure that there's a a decent medical facility near you nobody wants to think about the worst happening no but we've got to think about that you know how quickly can we get you treatment if you need treatment urgently um and you know if, if it involves an airlift off an island and things like that that could take a couple of hours to arrange so we, we wouldn't want to be putting anybody in that situation. So a lot of the time we would say, yes, we can cover you, but it's going to have to be mainland Europe. Um, is there a preference for which country in mainland Europe? I mean, is there is there somewhere that you would say, OK, that's, <laughs> that's I mean, the place? France is good because it's close. Okay. And as I say, that it's nice and easy to get back. But, you know, Italy's good as well because we can still get you back by road <laughs> or even look flying low level in an air ambulance. Again, okay. it's it's short enough that we can get people home. And that's what we've got to think about. And it, it might never happen and it probably won't. But that's what insurance is about, is covering the things, the, the, the least unexpected right. thing. And we've got to plan for that. And it, and that, on an emotional level, is tough as for, you know, the person with cancer going yeah. going through that because, you know, you really don't want to focus on the worst. You, you want yeah. to be focusing on getting yeah. away, having some rest and relaxation or, you know, Just like, hey, having an back. adventure, yeah. you know, and it's, it, yeah. And that, that's what you want to be thinking about. But... But that's not what the insurer is obviously right. thinking about. They need to think about the worst case scenario and what's going to happen. Right. Um, but even knowing that, it's good. Like, because <laughs> I've got a, I, I've never actually gotten travel insurance before. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it was something, well, I lived in America and, um, and, uh, I I had played a little fast and loose with um, not even having health insurance. I went seven years with no health insurance. I do not recommend it. Um, I was very, very, very lucky at the time that I was diagnosed. I was incredibly lucky. I was in a job. I had, I had tra- um, health insurance. But because I had lived there, I just never thought about travel insurance. So when I heard you talk at um, the Shine great estate escape this was like a whole new world to me that I was like oh my god I would because I'm formophobic like I hate forms I hate looking at that stuff fine print just makes me turn inside out so it was actually really useful to hear like what are they looking for so so now when I do buy travel insurance because I am going to um you know I I'm I know what the process is and I and and where you know where the two different things are coming from that I felt was like just so useful otherwise it you know it could be 
you know, more emotional than it needs to be. It can be very emotional because all you want to do is get away and then there's this barrier in your way and somebody won't give you cover but your doctor said you're well enough to go so why can't I go? And a lot of the times with the doctors they'll say, yeah, of course you can go. You know, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to America. Yeah, the health service is brilliant there. Of course you can go. But they're not considering who's going to have to pay for that. They're not saying you can go... And I know you're never not, you're not going to need treatment. They're saying you're going. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy for you to go because if you do need treatment, I know it's good where you're going. And what I always say to people is, say to the doctor, would you be happy for me to go without any travel insurance? And that's a different answer. Interesting. They would not recommend you go to America. So that's so they wouldn't recommend you take that risk because they know in all likelihood you might need something, whether it's just you know, an anti-sickness pill or even you get a bit dehydrated, you might need a treatment. And that's, you know, that can cost, you know, you've lived in America. Mm, the cost of yeah. the health insurance over there is astronomical. And the health service there, it's just, it's so much money. Huge. But um, so, that, so that's what, you know, we've got to think about. And I think, you know, insurance is a business and it has got to make money and we, we need to collect enough premiums in to pay out the claims. And when you think about if somebody has a claim in America, £100,000 is a completely reasonable amount to -hmm. be paying. You know, if if somebody's got cancer, we've got to keep them in hospital for a couple of days, then maybe get them on an air ambulance coming home. Completely reasonable amount of money. Yeah. But that's a lot of premiums to collect to make sure that we can cover those claims. And if we can't, then... The, the insurance business, the, the, that that section of the insurance business isn't in business. And then they would stop covering anybody. And then nobody could go unless they self-insured. But who's got £100,000 on the credit card no. just in case they get taken ill in America? So, um, so speaking of, because I, I do know a couple of people who um, uh, there isn't, an exclusion, like a cancer exclusion. So they've got their regular travel insurance, but it basically says, but we're not covering anything cancer related. Is there any problems with using um, a method like that? I, I wouldn't recommend it because it's, once you've had cancer, the you can, all roads tend to lead back to the cancer or the treatment of the cancer. So for instance, my own personal experience, I take a Rimadex, which is well known to thin the bones. Now, if I took out a travel insurance that excluded anything to do with cancer, so you're not just excluding the cancer, you're excluding anything to do with cancer or the treatment of cancer. So my treatment is a Remedex. Um, now, if I fell over and broke a bone, if they could, they might say, well, actually, if you weren't taking a Remedex, you wouldn't have broken that bone. Oh. So we're not going to cover you. And, and they would be perfectly within their rights to say that because how can I prove that it's not the Arimidex right. and it's just a really bad fall? I, I can't prove that. So that's something I would never recommend doing because, as I say, anybody that's had cancer, we, we know that a lot of the problems and the health problems, ongoing health problems we have, can we can relate it back to our cancer or the treatment that we've had for our cancer. Right. Yeah. So it's it's also looking at the way an insurance company might look at that yes. situation, even if it seems like, well, I, I fell because I was skiing. Yeah. They... But then are my bones weakened because right. of the treatment that I've already had? Yeah. I mean, just read 
the side effects on any treat any medication you take read those side effects and that's what you're going to be excluding any of those conditions yeah that's that's a lot so yeah another question that we had come in was do i still need travel insurance if i have a european union health card yes it's not a substitution for travel insurance at all it will give you reduced medical costs in whichever European country that you're in, and you will pay the same as a citizen of that country. However, the UK is the only country in the world that has a health system like the National Health that we pay basically for very little apart from our prescription charge. There's always charges somewhere else. You know, for example, in France, you you would pay for an ambulance Right. If you want to get, you know, for a hospital and there's various charges and sometimes it'll only cover emergency treatment. But if you've then got to stay in a hospital, you might be charged that the, the, the fee to stay in a hospital. So a lot of European countries will only cover emergency treatment. So they'll patch you up and make sure you don't die. But if you can't be sort of um, discharged from hospital straight away, you still need some treatment then that might be chargeable as well. And then you might be able to be discharged from hospital, but they still say, well, actually, you can't travel for seven days. So you've got to maybe pay for your hotel for another seven days where you are. Yeah. Um, and especially if you've broken a limb or something, um, you can't you can't travel straight away after an operation, or you might need two seats on an airplane, or they might insist that you go into club class or business class because you need to put your foot up. Right. Um, so you've so got to pay for all that, whereas that's where travel insurance would step in, in and pay, pick up all those periphery charges. So it's always... People just assume the worst and it's fine and but they don't think beyond what else am I not covered for every year the summer's coming in you're going to see all these people on Facebook trying to get money to help their friend that's stuck abroad to pay a, right. to pay a hospital bill because they had their European health card and they're not and all of a sudden there's thousands of pounds more to pay and they haven't got the money so they do these Facebook appeals and things like that. It happens all the time. Every summer, you just see them all the time because the European health card is not a replacement for travel insurance ever. That is really useful information. Um, there's one other question, which was, um, I want to go tall ship sailing as a volunteer crew. As I, as soon as I say I'm on chemo, companies run a mile. Never mind the fact I feel fine. I'm working full time, still hunting for someone to cover me. I have an annual insurance that covers my cancer on normal holidays, but doesn't uh, cover a lot of activities. So I think it's about finding a, a company that would cover different activities there are a lot of the specialist um, travel insurers that cover cancer out there you can buy different activity packs so you can do all sorts of, of things um, from alligator wrestling yes there is, no. there is a thing there is a thing you know to you know tall ships racing and 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 things like that there's but it's about making sure you but there will be an additional premium there and you will have to pay and make sure that everything that you're doing's covered because sometimes it it limits the waters that you can travel in as well so just make sure that you've got the right activity pack 
but you should be able to to find somebody that even although you've got the specialist cancer cover that can cover activities Right. Um, and it just shows, I mean, how different people are either, you know, um, cycling through five countries or tall ships sailing through chemo. And I couldn't even get off the couch. I, I'm just amazed. But it shows like how everyone is is so unique. And, you know, yeah. that looking for coverage is like looking, you know, for the right company for you that that is looking individually at your case and not just That's closing right. down yeah. when it comes to one question. Mm-hmm. And there is, and there's more and more choice out there now for everybody. There's not just that one company there. There is a choice and everybody has a choice, which is brilliant. Um, and they should be able to... Yeah, it's getting easier and easier and hopefully as... The more information that underwriters gather, it is going to become easier. We're in a different place than we were this time 10 years ago when I first started this, um, this carry-on, as I call it. Um, and and I think in another couple of years' time, it will be different. And there's more and more choice coming all the time for people with cancer and travel insurance. That's brilliant news. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. And thank you very much. Giving us all your wealth of knowledge. And thank you to Kate as well. And and to all of our question askers, we really appreciate that. And if you have any other questions or subjects that you want covered on Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show, you can um, send us a message on Twitter. Unfortunately, Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show was a bit too long. So on Twitter, you can find us under NYGCS. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you to all of you. And so we'll play that... As we're leaving, just that one last time, the beach music. See you next time on Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show.